Wow. Let's pray again. I know we have prayed, but let's just pray one more time. Father, we, we thank you so much for, for the privilege to be together around the agenda of your kingdom. As we talk about kingdom work, you are impacting us. You are imparting truth to our spirits that we may continue to do the work that you've called us to do. Thank you for the leadership of CRC, the amazing and great work that you're doing among them. Thank you for the privilege for us to be here to come and share your word and also to learn. We thank you, Jesus, that you're building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we see the church rise all over the world and we're grateful to be a part of it and that you have chosen to use us in spite of our own limitations and issues and that you look beyond that and fill us with your power and fill us with your Holy Spirit. And so tonight... As we continue to share since this afternoon, we thank you that you continue to build us up line upon line, precept upon precept, principle upon principle, that we may grow up to serve you more and love you more and to have impact in our generation. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who believed that prayer said amen. Amen. Before you sit down, why don't you go around five people, seven people, give them a high five, tell them the mission is possible. Remember we said five and not 50. I'm sure we did say five. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Pastor Bill, thank you so much for having us, uh, you and uh, Sister Kathy. Thank you for inviting us to come to Australia. It's our first time to be here in Australia. It's been a great experience, very good experience. My wife and I, uh, we, we arrived just a few days ago. We could have been here about three years ago, but uh, we couldn't make it because I became quite ill. And uh, Pastor Bill has been to our church in Soweto and has really has been a great blessing to us. Yes, we met in Ghana, in Accra. When we met and he talked and told me that he saw me at Willow Creek, I I didn't know he had been there. And uh, I just want to say just for the short time we've been here, I was here in the first session. So grateful to have come to that session. Uh, we really need to commend you, SCRC, for what God is doing among you. I must tell you, I was was greatly impacted just sitting there and seeing ministers who have been serving you for 40 years and and 30 years and and looking around, we see the senior ministers and younger ministers sitting side by side. Uh, You know, we've come to minister here, but there's a lot of takeaways because our uh, denomination, our movement is still fairly young. Um, I've been pastor by God's grace for 33 years, uh, but we started planting churches about 10 years ago. We've got about 32 churches going now, and uh, by God's grace, it's going on well. And so there's a lot of things for us to learn. And so not only have we come to preach, we've come to steal some of the ideas from here. You know, cutting and pasting is not illegal as long as you don't write an examination. How many of you know that? So we've come to learn, and um, it's really been a great impact for us, and we are very grateful, and thank you for all the hospitality and and all the ministers from other regions who are here as well. Thank you for being with us. We bring greetings to you from Grace Bible Church. Please, if you ever come to Soweto, remember the name Grace Bible Church, all right? We'd love to have you come visit with us. We're trying to get our people to be more exposed and to know what's going on all over the world. It's an enriching experience to see God move all over the world because, you know, sometimes it's easy for people to assume that we are the only ones who are experiencing a move of God. And, and when you see what God is doing around the world, it gives you perspective of what the church is doing. Uh, three weeks ago, I was in Zambia, and uh, probably some of you have been there. You know, the country is really going through a big challenge right now economically, and uh, Quite interesting, in spite of all the challenges, the church is doing well, very well. I was at the church of uh, uh, Bishop Nwaka, a friend of mine. We've been friends 25 years now. 
and he's built this amazing uh, organization with many churches all over the world. And a, a week before, I was in Zimbabwe. With all the challenges in Zimbabwe, I was with uh, Bishop Nyati in Bulawayo, and uh, they're also just exploding everywhere. And so the church is doing well. Can I hear an amen here tonight? Please remember, I'm from Soweto. Soweto people are very noisy. I can do with a lot of amens tonight. And I can do with a lot of noise. Are you going to help me out to preach? It's my first time. Hallelujah. So um, the theme is mission possible. And we're using Matthew 28 verse 19 as the main text. Tonight, we want to focus on the word go. We want to focus on moving. So Matthew 28, 19 in the New King James Version, I just read a portion of it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I think this must have come as a shock to to the disciples of Christ. These men who were Galileans, men who came from a very, very small town and really hadn't Related with people from other areas as much. I mean, when Jesus went to Samaria, it's quite obvious that the disciples didn't do too well. (laughs) When Jesus went into an unfamiliar territory to minister to the Samaritan woman, his disciples, the Bible tells us they went away to go buy some food. I guess, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say that, but I think they just went away to avoid dealing with Samaritans, because they had issues, as you know, there were historical issues, cultural issues, there were theological issues, there were gender issues, there were all kinds of issues. But surprising enough, Jesus talks to these Galileans in spite of their background and gives them a commission to go. And the the going is to go into all the world, to go into all parts of the world, go beyond Galilee. I mean, for them, it was just to just cross, just go to Samaria, go to Judea, and then just to the uttermost parts of the world. Because truly speaking, you and I need to be on the go. You and I need to be people who are on the move. We've been given that commission to go and take the gospel to other parts of the world. I want to read in Luke chapter 14 a parable that Jesus used, which I want to build my talk around tonight to really show you the seriousness that Jesus puts on this going business. We need to be a people on the move. If we don't go, people will not be affected by the gospel. If we don't go, we're not going to grow. If we don't go, our churches will not grow. If we don't go, our nations will not be evangelized. If we don't go, the world will never change. And yet Jesus told us to go. In Luke chapter 14, it's quite a long passage. Please allow me to read it. I'll emphasize just a few verses from verse 16, and I read the King James Version. A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that had been invited, come, for all things are now ready. And they with with one accord began to make excuses. Notice that. The people who were invited began to make excuses. One of the things that we'll need to know how to deal with as we go is to how to overcome excuses. Not only our own excuses, but the excuses of the people that we're taking the message to. So the people who have been invited, they are the ones who are on the guest list. They start making excuses. The first one said, I've bought a piece of ground in Australia (laughs) and I must go and see it. I pray have me excused. Another one says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to check them out. I'm asking you to have me excused. Now, I know the way check them out is not there. I'm just uh, trying to explain something. Verse 20, another one said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came, told his Lord these things. Now, note the reaction of the master. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor. You can see that the goal of the master is to have many people come. And and we need to challenge ourselves as leaders. We need to challenge ourselves as church people that the, the heart of the master is to really have many people reached by the gospel. 
That's the commission. Our commission is to go to the whole world. Our commission is to reach thousands of people. If you look at the ministry of Christ, thousands came to his ministry. If you look at the ministry of the early church, thousands came into the ministry. Now, we're not really necessarily absorbed in numbers. We're not necessarily saying that numbers say we're better than others. But what we cannot in any way ignore is that we have been given a commission to reach the whole world. And that's a commission. And God is very concerned. People didn't come. He said, go to the lanes, bring in the poor, bring in the maimed, the halt, and the blind. The servant said, Lord, is done. I did what you commanded, and yet there is room. Know that. And the Lord said to the servants, go into the highways and the hedges. And note what he says, and compel them to come in. What a strong expression. Compel them to come in. Why, Lord? So that my house may be filled. Compel them to come in. And I want to focus a bit on that word compel tonight. I want to discuss it. I'm aware of the limitations we have in different countries in terms of how we can preach that, the gospel. We just came from Malaysia. You know, as much as, you know, churches are there, preaching is happening, there are certain restrictions. I'm well aware that in different countries of the world there are restrictions. However, whatever restrictions you have, you can still compel within what's allowed in your country. So however this, whatever it means in your context, uh, I'm going to try not try to explain every context, but just preach it as it is to compel. The Lord said, go out into the highways, go out into the hedges, after you've gone to the streets, to the lanes, after you've gone after the poor, the maim, the halt, go out there, make a move, do something. And when you go there, don't be nice about it, don't be apologetic about it, when you go there, don't be afraid about it. When you go there, don't try to be nice at all. Just compel them to come in. And I know the way it sounds. It sounds like, oh, aren't we being harsh here? Well, we'll explain a few things. It says, compel them to come in. Why? That my house may be filled. God wants his house to be full. God wants the churches to be full. We all start somewhere. And I know different contexts are not the same. Countries are not the same. But within my own context, if my own context says five people in a church is full and five people in the church where I am in that place is a mega church, then let me have a mega church. If I'm in a place where thousands is what mega church is, let me go after that. We shouldn't apologize about having large impact in any city. We shouldn't feel sorry about having large impact. We shouldn't go with the notion that we're just after quality. Well, God wants quality and quantity. And we, know, we don't need to apologize about that because the master told us that my house may be full. And this is important. Now, the word compel is a very interesting word. In the Greek, it's spelled in a very interesting way. Uh, it's, it's spelled... A-N-A-G-K-A-Z-O. A-N-A-G-K-A-Z-O. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Bill. We say anakazo. Um, it's, this is a Sowetan trying to speak Greek, so you, I'm sure you have a lot of compassion for me there. So I say anakazo. This has become so popular in our church that we've even incorporated it into our language. You hear somebody say, I'm anakazoing, you know. Yeah, I'm going to anakazo. You go to anakazo them. And we use that because that's what the master said. Compel them. Anakazo them. The word compel means the following. Number one, it means to necessitate. Make necessary. Why do we necessitate? Because there are many people, when you tell them about Christ, they make excuses. There are many people in many parts of the world who want to act like they really don't need God. You know, particularly in countries that are well off and they're prospering. We have a, uh, one of our leaders who went to, uh, and if we have people from Canada here, I'm not saying everybody in Canada is like that. So please, I'm just trying to explain. But he went to Canada and he lived there for a while. In, in a, you know, he, was, he went there through his job. And he was telling me in this particular region in Canada, which I will not mention, I'm just making an illustration. And he said, you know, everybody there, everybody has got money. 
They've got their own big house. They've got their own boat. You know, they don't need God to heal them because they can go to a hospital. <laughs> you know, they don't have to believe for, for food. They've got enough money. He said, you know, people there, they just don't care about God. He was so shocked. He was so shocked. So, you know, having to reach people like that, they're not just going to come just by a nice approach. We have to find a way to necessitate them, to compel them. That word compel means to, to almost force somebody or persuade somebody to do something. We've got to find a way to reach those people. I'm going to explain how we do that later on. See, we must necessitate somebody or help somebody to do something. To compel speaks of something that is necessary. Something that requires to be done. Something that is an essential. It needs to be achieved. The word compel secondly means to drive to. That sounds strong, isn't it? I mean, it's always quite interesting. Jesus, how can you say we must drive people? I thought people will just come willingly. I thought people will just, just come. You know, I'll speak a bit of Africans. I know you don't know Africans, but it's what we say. I thought people will somehow come. But people don't just come. People come because something has been done. Many of you here, if we were to tell the truth, you didn't just come to Christ just willingly. There's something that made you come. Either it's a person or circumstances that made you come. People don't just receive Christ on their own. And Jesus said, we need to compel them. The word compel means to constrain by all means, such as persuasion and entities. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 11, when he was talking about prayer there or the woman who came to the unjust Lord. And this woman had what Jesus calls importunity or persistence. So we need to adopt an attitude and a heart to be persistent, to be very strategic, to be, to be unrelenting, to stay with it, to persuade people, to use whatever means at our disposal that, that is legal. Of course we will use wisdom. All right? We will will not push them to a point that they reject us, but we're going to find a way. We need to pray for God, to God, to give us wisdom, to find a way to make it work. It's amazing how in churches, emphasis on evangelism is not done at all. We kind of think it's going to happen on its own. Look at this slide here about Coca-Cola. I think it's, I don't know, slide number seven, if they're showing the slides, right? You know, Coca-Cola is the biggest brand in the world. I mean, go anywhere in the world, they know Coca-Cola. You know, go anywhere. Go to South Korea. I, went, I was in South Korea. I can't speak Korean. But when I said Coca-Cola, people said, ah, Coca-Cola, yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows Coca-Cola. And anywhere in the world, Coca-Cola is the top brand, number one selling brand. Now, here's my question. Why must they keep advertising? Why should they spend so much money on advertisements? This is one of the adverts. I don't know what year was that. Very interesting advert. And I'm sure they are the same here. Back at home, they have all kinds of adverts. I mean, in one year, Coca-Cola will do like two, three kinds of types of adverts. And you know how much it costs to do those adverts. If they're the number one brand, why don't they just say, eight hey, people will buy Coca-Cola anyhow? That's because they understand if they don't compel you somehow, if they don't persuade you somehow, you're going to stop buying. In fact, the advertising industry, they spend lots and lots of money on advertising. Even if they're the top brand. In advertising, and let's tell the truth now. Coca-Cola is not here, right? Let's just tell the truth. We know that their product is not half of what they say it is. We all know that, but we won't tell them. We all know that. We, we all know that, but we still buy. <laughs> I love it when they, when they advertise certain products at home, like soap and, and, and so on. You know, you know, I thought, you know, if they want to advertise soap, why don't they hold up the soap and say, here's a bar of soap, buy it. Buy it. They don't do that. You know what they do? They get a beautiful woman. Yeah. Get a beautiful woman. She washes with the soap. You know, and, you, you know, and, and so when, when you buy it subconsciously, you think when you wash with that soap, you look like her. <laughs> They're just trying to find a way to compel us, persuade us. Now, if the people of this world whose products are nowhere near what they say they are, find it necessary to compel. Why do we think we should not compel people? Why can't we be creative, persuasive? Why can't we find means and ways 
to bring people in. And that's what the master said. He said, well, the people who should be coming are not coming. Those who are invited, they don't want to come. So go to the streets, go to the byways, go to the highways. He says, look for all of the, look for the blind, look for the maimed, look for the halt, compel them. He said, I want my house to be full. Well, may I prophesy to you, I see your house being full in the name of Jesus. And may God grant you a full house wherever you are. Why? Because we're going to compel people. Can I hear another amen in the house? See, there are several myths about evangelism. Number one, first myth is if people are really serious about God, they'll come on their own. You know, that's a myth. That's not so. That's not so. You know, if people are really serious about God, they'll come. Second myth is, well, you know, the assumption that someone else will do it. So we don't do it. You know, we think someone else will do it. And remember, that someone else thinks you that someone else will do it. So at the end, nobody gets to do anything. Number three, we said, no, I can't be persuasive to people regarding spiritual things. Really? Really? So they might just happen on their own. So we can't persuade people. Or God will make them come. <laughs> I know God does make them come, but you know, the way God makes them come to church is through you and I. Now, let's look at a few examples in the Bible. And please allow me, I will not read the scriptures that I've referred to there. You can read them later. But you do, you do know the scriptures. It's interesting that when people came to Christ, when they approached Jesus, it, it, it was because something compelled them. Right through the Bible. None of them just came on their own. No, no. All of them, when they came to Christ, it was because something compelled them. Let's look at a few Instances. The first thing that compels people is number one, desperation. When you meet people who are desperate, please, I ask you, help them whichever way you can, but use that as an opportunity to talk to them about Christ. The woman with the issue of blood, her story is interesting. The Bible tells us she had lost all the money, she had gone to all the doctors. Nothing was working. She was rather getting worse. See, sometimes certain people, unfortunately, I'm not, talking, I'm not saying this woman in particular, but there are certain people who are, have so much at their disposal that sometimes people don't ever even think about God at all. It's only when they get to, into a certain condition, when they're desperate, that they start asking questions. Please, should they ever come across your path, do not in any way overlook that. If they are your neighbor, if that's allowed, wherever you are, in the culture you are, in the vicinity you are, go give them a visit. Visit them. Talk to them. You heard so-and-so is not well. So-and-so, this has happened to them. They've had this crisis. Go visit. That's a huge open door for us to talk to them. What about Jairus? Jairus comes to Jesus. My child is at the point of death. Please help. You see? So it's desperation. In Luke chapter 5, the man who was on a stretcher, for many years, he was so desperate that when they came to the house where Jesus was, and the house was full, and they couldn't find by which way to get into the house, instead of turning back, they decided if we can get through the front door, we're going to come through the roof. That's desperation right there. That's desperation right there. So this guy did whatever it took to get on top of the roof. And I've really realized, you know, it's, it's very convenient for people to say that they don't take to spiritual things or they are really, uh, they are not crazy about spiritual things. They're just cool and nice and, you know, uh, I look at countries of the world. I know you, you play football here, Australian football. We, we are a soccer-loving nation in South Africa and we, we watch a lot of European soccer, you know, and... Uh, it's very interesting to watch how the stadiums in Europe get full there. And, 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 and hundreds of people go to the match. And, and, you know, I've been in some churches in Europe, not all of them, where, you know, you preach to congregations, they are not as responsive as you are. You know, they just sit and look at you. Like, bless me if you can. <laughs> you know that kind of a look? You know, it's like, the, it's like what are you talking about? You know, you, you, you're emotional. I, I'm, I'm not emotional. I'm, I'm a calculative person, very analytical. Bless me if you can. But you know, I think I have a suspicion. I've seen those same people in a stadium when Manchester United was playing with Arsenal. I mean, they, 
They don't even sit during a match. In South Africa, we are crazy with soccer, but at least we sit down during the match. Hi, not in Europe. They don't sit down. They stand throughout the match. They are shut off in this winter. Ah! Write all kinds of things. And they sing throughout, you know, during the World Cup. We had them in South Africa, and I was watching all of them singing their lungs out. And even before the match, some of them had taken a little bit, you know what I mean, to drink. And they're not walking straight, and they're all happy. And I'm thinking, okay, these are the same people when you're in church. They look at you like, I'm not an emotional person. You know, I'm very calculative. I'm very cerebral, you know. I never, I'm never moved. But you see, it's just very so, so convenient. But you see, when, when, when people have their backs up against the corner, it becomes a huge problem. This is not a very nice story I'm going to tell, but I think it, it helped me as a young person to realize what desperation can do. Uh, I went with a friend of mine. They were going to catch a train to go to town from a train station called Intlanzani in the area where I stay. And, and for some reason, as the train was pulling out the station, there was a young man, very cool guy, you know, who decided to board the train whilst it's moving. You know, you know train surfing and all that. And, and those days, that practice was very, very popular. And uh, you could see from his dress code and being young, he, he's, he, you know, he's really cool, you know. He... And, and, and of course, you, don't, you never let the train leave you behind if you're cool. What will the girls say? You know, I mean, I, I mean I'm really cool. So this young guy, unfortunately, forced to try and get the train. And unfortunately, it resulted in a very bad tragedy. He fell between the train and the platform. But I, I just never forget the scream he let out. You know, just before, he was really cool. You know, just, you know, going to the train and he's really cool. And then that moment when he was falling between the train and the platform, the desperation, the scream and the shout, I stood there thinking, my goodness. You know, when people have their backs against the wall, they become honest. They become truthful. Never ever skip an opportunity when somebody is in a desperate situation. If God places you next to them, whether at work, whether on the street, wherever they are, if they ever come to you or you come across their path, use that opportunity to compel them to come in. Can I hear another amen? amen? Secondly, people are compelled through somebody telling them. People hear from someone. When I received Christ, uh, 1978, is because my elder sister told me about Christ, though she invited me really to go to a program of young people where they were talking about Jesus being savior. So, there are many people who get saved because somebody told them. And remember, you are that someone. Tell your neighbor, you are that someone. Just tell them for me, you are that someone. Tell your other neighbor, you are that someone. Tell your other neighbor, if you don't believe it, you are that someone. You are that someone, really. When Jesus went to Samaria in John chapter 4, I said the scriptures are up on the screen. We won't read you. can read them later. This woman who had been touched by Jesus, she went out to tell others. How oh, I tell you, I love the story of this woman. Imagine, she went out and the Bible says the whole city came because of her. She went out and told them about Christ. When I, when I, when we, when I became a Christian in 1978, one of the practices back then, the first thing they taught you as a young believer was how to share your testimony. And your churches don't do that anymore. Churches don't do that anymore. We, 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 know, we, we were taught that when you, when you become a Christian, the, the first thing you do is to tell others about your faith. Tell them. Now, I remember I got saved on a Saturday. Sunday, I was already testifying. I didn't have all the right words. <laughs> I didn't know what had happened to me. I knew something had happened. You know, so I told my friends, yesterday I was blessed. So they looked at me. They said, okay, you were blessed. So what? said, I also want you to be blessed. <laughs> I didn't know how to explain. But you know, when you tell somebody, it plants a seed in them. They may not respond at that point. They may not make a decision at that point. But people come because somebody tells them. May you be that somebody. 
May you teach the people in the church you lead to be that somebody. Could be, you could be, it could be at work, it could be in the gym, it could be wherever it is, but you become that somebody. Blind Bartimaeus in Luke chapter 18, he was blind, he hears a noise, on inquiry, he discovers that it is Jesus who is passing by. Bible says he asked what's going, they said it's Jesus, but he heard from somebody, it's Jesus who's passing by. Tell people and invite people. See, there is a certain kind of evangelism that is not going to work in this day and age. Why? Because many people who need the gospel may not respond to certain approaches like invitation cards and other things. So without us anakazoing, there we go, the church will be empty. See, life has become very busy and very hectic, and there are many people who are making an excuse about God. People are busying themselves with all kinds of things and people never ever get to think about God anymore. And I believe it is our responsibility to make sure that we put God at the center of the agenda. Can I hear an amen on that? So we need to anakazo people. Let's talk about the steps to anakazo. And I'm taking it all from Luke chapter 14, verse 16 to verse 14. Number one, we note that the master prepared the supper. So an anakazo person prepares something. You must make preparation to reach the lost, right? You could use different approaches. There's a time in our church where we, we, we would encourage people just to, you know, people in Soweto to love to have a party. Oh, they love it. Oh, they love to have a party. So it says people just ha- have a party. And, and, uh, and so people pitch up on the party. The only thing they can't figure out is, where is the, why is the alcohol not there? This part is cool, but the music is great, but why does it sound like it's gospel music? You know, we, we used to have young people <laughs> do that kind of thing and have all kinds of creative means to invite people in and bring people, you know. Or, you know, back in, 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 in Soweto, at least people in our, in our nation, they don't mind if you say, you know, can we bring prayer to your home? You know, they don't mind. They, they love that. So we use that as as a way. But we need to make preparation. Number two, an anakazo person doesn't keep to themselves. In other words, the master told the servants, go out. We need to learn to not keep to ourselves, you know. You know and, and I know we all have different temperaments and so on. And some of us are very shy people. <laughs> but the commission of Christ says you need to go to other people. Even if you're shy. Go to people of other nationalities, reach out people so an unaccountable person doesn't keep to themselves, but they influence and they affect many people. Number three, the Lord said, I'm not going to cancel the party simply because nobody came. So the third thing is an unaccountable person, whenever you have prepared either for a church service to win the lost or an event to win the lost, you don't cancel it because nobody shows up. You've got to have that kind of persistence. I'm not going to cancel it because nobody. We're going to, if you decide to make an altar call in the church, whether one person comes, three person comes, three people come, nobody comes, you keep on making altar calls. We're not going to change that. You see, you've got to get to that point where you have that kind of determination about what you're doing. It's got to be something that you embrace as a practice. You're not prepared to cancel. I'm going to show you slides later on. But, you know, we started in our church a few years ago to be very, very strong in doing this Anakazo stuff. And uh, we started having, you know, uh, we have a, a major meeting in the stadium. We'll show you the slides much later. And, but, but leading to that, we have smaller meetings in different areas. Now, let me be honest with you, pastors. You know, uh, I've never really, no, not I've never, but... In terms of winning the lost, I've done it more in church, doing altar calls. We use funerals, weddings in our, in our culture. It's fine. You know, any, any, yeah, any chance we get, we just use, make an altar call. Anyway, you know, it's, 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 it's quite nice at, at weddings. You know, you, you talk about these people, they met Christ, you know, and know they're getting married and Jesus can change your life. At funerals, we do it. Any birthday parties, 
21st birthday, anakazo. 70th birthday, anakazo. Any birthday, just anakazo. Just keep anakazoing. Don't, don't stop. We just use whatever is there, we use it to anakazo. We, 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 we do home visits. We, we do street evangelism. We, 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 what else do we do? We do all kinds of things, all kinds of interesting things, just anakazo. Then we decided we're going to have, you know, crusades like Bishop Doug is doing. And we've really never done crusades on a large scale. And we're learning, we're new. But we started three years ago to go to different areas. And you know the nice thing I like about these meetings? They are mostly targeted to the unchurched, the unsaved people. And we challenge people in our church to bring people. We, we, we used to have Sundays in our church where we call it Bring a Soul Sunday. So in other words, the chair that you are sitting in, someone who doesn't know Christ should be sitting in that chair next week Sunday. And it's declared a bring a soul Sunday. And, and, and we do that. So we started with these small meetings I'm referring to, to different communities. I must be honest with you. I'm going to be very honest with you. That the first meeting I did while I was preaching to unsaved people, I realized that I am so deep in theology that I have even lost the... The, 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 the art of preaching a simple message. And see, that's what happens to us when we become so entrenched just in the church and we don't do the going. We lose touch with the people. If you look at the way Jesus preached, Jesus knew how to, to preach his message. He knew when he's preaching to people who are theologians, he would quote from the law. But, but when he talked to the everyday people, the multitude, he talked in parables. He knew how to preach his message. But, you know, and I found, and I'm being honest, I found I just lost the touch. You know, because my language was anointing, propitiation, redemption. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? Christocentric ecclesiology, whatever that is. And that's all that was. And, and in the people who are not saved are looking at you. What is that? Is that a country? Is that a bird? What are they talking about? And then secondly, I realized when, when I preach to people who are unchurched, I can't go deep into Greek and Hebrew. In fact, if you can, just stick to one story. Then I realized you also can't preach for too long. 15 minutes, that's all. Get to the point quickly. They may lose interest. And as I started, I realized, even as a pastor who'd been leading a church for 20-something years, I didn't know how to preach to people who are unsaved. But then what about the commission to go? What about the challenge to go to people who are not like us? So as unaccounted people, we should be People who are, number four, we are not prepared to have an empty meeting. And you know what I found out? You may be rejected in one community, but there's another community that will receive you. I'm telling you, as I've gone around the world preaching, I found out that it's not everywhere your ministry is received in the same way. And we learned that from Jesus. He went to his own hometown. Remember? In Mark chapter 3, went to his own hometown. Instead of people receiving from him, what do they do? They start questioning him. We know this guy. We know, he, we know his sisters. We know he's, a, we know he's, a, you know he's a child of a carpenter. Who is he to tell us this? And the Bible says he could there do no mighty works except heal a few minor diseases. And he marveled at their unbelief. Why? They had no capacity to receive him. See, your ministry may be limited because you're only focusing on one group. But there's a group somewhere where the anointing that God has placed on your life will work there. Trust me, you'll see it. There's a, there's a group somewhere, maybe outside of where you are, who will receive what God has placed in your life. In fact, some of you, you are about to find out and discover how anointed you are. Sometimes it, it's, it's the places where we have been raised and where we have been nurtured that you don't actually get to see the best anointing on your life. First time I preached in Cameroon. I didn't know. By the grace of God, God was so gracious to me to put an anointing like that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I didn't know. As I was preaching, people were falling from the bleachers. No, no, none of you is going to fall from the chair right now, okay? But people were falling and screaming. And I'm standing there thinking, wow, 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 wow. Jesus, hallelujah, preach some more. Wow. In so where they just look at me like, Some of you probably 
Sometimes we even end up being discouraged. And you think you're not called. Somebody here, you, you will think about quitting the ministry. Saying this, as I'm sensing it in the spirit. You're thinking about hanging up the tower. But you see, you, you, you've allowed yourself to be contained where you are. God's opening your eyes tonight. There's a community not far from where you are. Whereas you start to minister there, you'll be amazed at what God can do. Can I hear an amen in the house? And you know, when you come back from those trips, you come back as a different person. Yeah, your congregation will look at you and say, what happened to you, pastor? Watch, that's going to happen. So another cause of person is not prepared to have an empty meeting. Number five, another cause of person is not overcome by people's excuses. We used to teach people, bring a soul. Bring people to church on Sunday. So people say, I don't know, Sunday I can't wake up. Okay, I'll phone you and wake you up. Yeah, but I don't have transport. I'll give you a lift in my car. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have nice clothes. I'll buy you some. <laughs> just, just find a way to cancel all the excuses. Find a way to cancel all excuses. Because I found in the world we have people with lots of excuses. Number six, an another person knows that many excuses are empty. Number seven, I need to rush now. An another person knows that many excuses are lies. Number eight, an anakazo person makes a way and does not give an excuse. Number nine, an anakazo person moves out of their normal circles of life. We've talked about that. And they reach to people outside their comfort zone. I think this is what has blessed me with CRC. You know, you are in so many parts of the world. That's why we are trying to lead our, our movement right now. You know, and there's just something unique about a diversity of a movement. Something enriching about seeing a broad scope of what God is doing all over the world. There's just something about that that cannot be found anywhere. And it will enrich you so much if you learn to reach beyond where you are. Just try something new, Pastor, this coming Sunday. Try something new next month. Try something. Just challenge the, the people you are leading in the church. As an individual, just try something that you've never done before. All right, there's different types of evangelism or different styles of evangelism. Number one is direct preaching. We find that in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching, with direct preaching, you need to be confident, assertive, direct, anointed. This is all direct preaching. So I'm just showing you the different styles of evangelism. And all of us may be comfortable with one style or another, or you may want to use all of them. And give people those options in the church. Teach them. Because we're not wired the same way. Some people may be great to just stand up there and say a few words. Number two, there's the intellectual style. I love this one. Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he reasons with the people. The intellectual style is inquisitive, analytical, logical. This is great to use probably even among students at university. You know, to come up among people who are, you know, at a certain rank because they may never respond to you giving them a pamphlet. <laughs> Certainly they're not going to respond to you taking a loudspeaker at a street corner and blasting them. They're just going to walk past you. But if you sit down with them and reason with them, you probably will be able. But to do this, you must be very knowledgeable of your subject matter, okay? Don't try this if you don't know your subject matter. Just be sure that you study enough and be sure you are broad enough like Jesus where he starts talking about water from the well and moves from talking about water from the well and translates into talking about spirituality. You just start talking about football. You know, you just talk about what happened at football. So you've got to know something about football. You, you've got to know the players and start there. And move the conversation in the direction you want it to go. Number three, the testimonial style. This is a lovely one. John chapter 9. You give a testimony. You tell people what God has done. You know what I love with the testimonial style? Everybody here can do it. I'm telling you. Everybody here can do it. The man that Jesus healed, who was, who was blind, Jesus healed him. He didn't see who Jesus was. He didn't, recognize, he didn't necessarily see Jesus. He just got healed. And when his eyes opened, Jesus was gone. So he goes around saying, Jesus healed me. So they start saying, who do you say healed you? And he realizes the people are so hostile. Because they didn't want to give Jesus the, 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 the due he deserved. 
And they back the guy up in a corner to ask him a lot of theological questions. The guy at the end says, okay, guys, listen, listen, listen. I may not be able to answer you, but this one thing I know. <laughs> I was blind. Now I see. Yeah. Yeah. People may argue with you with the Greek and the Hebrew, whether God is there, he's not there. What they can never argue is that God has changed your life. Yeah. That, that, that they cannot argue. That they cannot argue. That God has touched your life. They can never take it away from you. So everybody here, we can do that. We can just tell somebody what God has done. Number four, the interpersonal style. This is where we need warm personalities. We, 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 we relate with people. We are conversational. This one is a, is a friendship-oriented one. Number five, the invitational style. We've talked about it. This is where you say to people, come and see, or you are hospitable. It needs you to be relational, persuasive. And then what about the serving style in Acts chapter 9? There are people who serve others. And we serve them. And in our serving, we can tell them about Christ. The serving style has to be others-centered. It must be humble. must be patient. How do we compel? Let's come to a close. Number one, pray for people that you want to reach always. Keep them in your prayers, according to Ephesians 1. Pray for them. I found prayer is a powerful thing. That's how I came to know Christ. My sister prayed for me. Number two, be unashamed. Be unblushing about reaching them with the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to be too discreet about it. Let's put it out there. This is what we are known for as charismatic Pentecostals. Let's put it out there. We are God's children. We are not ashamed about it. We are not ashamed about the gospel. I may not have all my theology lined up. I may not be able to answer certain questions. But I'm unashamed about the fact that I'm a child of God. I'm unashamed by the fact that I've been changed by the blood. Give the Lord a big hand in this place tonight. Number three, be bold. Be bold about it. Number four, be confident of your subject matter. Be confident of your subject matter. Five, be passionate. Sales people will tell you, people only buy because they see the passion in you. People are not going to get a product that you are half-hearted about. Show them that receiving Christ is worth everything. Have the passion to talk about him. Number whatever, I've lost my counting. Whatever number you have, put it there. Whatever number. In Luke chapter 18, approach more than once. Salespeople will tell you. People don't buy first time around. Most people who are successful salespeople, they approach clients five times, ten times. On average, people buy after the tenth approach. You only approached once. Number whatever. What number am I on? Help me out. Number seven, use different approaches. There's many ways to approach people. And so Mark 16, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. It says, and they went and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Watch this. As you anakazo, the anointing will flow. As you anakazo, you'll discover how God has anointed you. As you anakazo, you will move into certain dimensions of the anointing. Like when Philip went down to Samaria. I don't think Philip knew as an usher. As saving tables, how anointed he was. I don't think he knew what God could do in his life, but he went out, stepped out of Jerusalem. It was all by default. It happened because persecution came. It wasn't planned. Even though the Lord had told them to go, they didn't go. They stayed in Jerusalem. But it's only when he went. I'm just wondering what God's going to do through you as you go. I'm just wondering what God's going to do through your life. The Samaritan woman influenced the whole city. And so, dare to go, dare to compel, and watch God increase the anointing of impact in your life. I want to end with these slides that I want to show you. We decided years ago, we're going to start not only doing the, the outreaches, we're going to even climax by going to a stadium. God spoke to me 10 years ago. And so here's a slide here. That one picture there, 2011, we went to a... Orlando Stadium, this stadium takes 40,000 people. And we had a meeting there. 
And this was in our first year. I think we had a, how many, maybe 25,000 people we had. And, uh, you know, 25,000 is good, but 25,000 in a 40,000, it doesn't look so great. But here we are. We challenged people to undercastle. We said, bring your friends. People will come to your stadium. They may not want to come to your church, but they'll come to your stadium. And God was good. And note now, in 2015, a few years later, these were the numbers. I think this year we probably did about 30,000. Let's go to the next slide. And then by the grace of God, this is this year. 40,000 people. Wow. Give the Lord a big hand. I think God deserves the praise. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a secret. All my life, I never believed we could preach to so many people. There's the last slide we will show you just now. All my life, I just never, you know, sometimes you say, I can't do this, I can't do this. You know what I found out? We limit what God can do through our lives. Because we're not going to step out. Now look at the last slide there. The same, same number of people. Let's have the slide there, please, the last one. Oh, are they having it at the back there? There we are. Stadium full. And you know, I, I know newspaper people can, be, can cause trouble. I have a, just keep the slide there. I, had a, I have a soccer team that I like called Orlando Pirates. It's my team. But it has not been doing so well. And, and, and they play in this stadium because it's Orlando Stadium. And they don't fill the stadium. So we had these meetings for three days. And then on Monday, this is the newspaper's writing. Grace Bible Church 3, Orlando Pirates 0. <laughs> I mean, really. Why should they do that? But you know, if you told me years ago this would happen, I wouldn't have believed you. If you ever told me this could happen, I could have never believed. But you know, I found out there's an anointing that's available for you. An anointing available for your church. An anointing available for you as an individual. And the question is, will you anakazo? And so as we close tonight, I'm going to ask us please just to stand on our feet, please. And I'm going to ask you to join hands with two or three people. And let's just begin to pray together and pray for one another. That God will grant us the boldness to Anakazo. Just join hands with them and begin to pray all over this place. Maybe we can have somebody come and play the keyboard for us and sing one of those worship songs, please. Just join hands with somebody. Begin to pray for them. Let's not be afraid to pray in tongues because we are Pentecostal charismatic people. Pray that God will give them the boldness. Pray that God will grant them the courage. Father, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. Grant great boldness to them. By stretching your hands to heal. Let signs and wonders be done by the name of your holy child Jesus. Let them speak your word with boldness. Let them speak your word with courage. Let them speak the word without compromise. Thank you for your anointing that rests upon their lives. Thank you for your Holy Ghost that rests upon their lives. Pray for them in the name of Jesus. Pray for them in the name of Jesus. Keep on praying for them.